Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hola, socios. Hola, equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, this is Taylor from Shenzhen, China, and I am a socio of The Big Interview. My favorite episodes are the weekly insights from La Liga. Living out in China, I can't keep up with the league I love because of the kickoff times and the fact that it's just not covered out here. It's not very popular, which is very, very sad. And Graham and his insight really helps me to stay in touch with the league I love and the football I love. Hello, my name's Neil White, and this is the big interview at the World Cup. Graham Hunter is in Moscow, but not for much longer. I really hope you heard his late night take on Spain's defeat on penalties by Russia. Today, we want to go further into what happened with Spain in Russia. And in this endeavour, we ask for your help. So these questions are yours, but the answers, as ever, come from the host of the big interview, Graham Hunter. Graham, we're going to crash right into these. And the first one is perhaps at the root of this whole story. It comes from Tapua on Twitter, and he asks... Would we have seen a more decisive Spain had Rubiales not sacked Lopetegui? Um, I, I think so, for a number of reasons. It's, it would be stupid to say definitely, but first of all, there was a very clear identity and playing style from Lopetegui's team during the couple of years, pretty much two years, from the Italian defeat in the Eurocopa until now. And it wasn't simply that they'd racked up unbeaten matches it was to do with the fact that Busquets and Iniesta began to enjoy their international football like they hadn't for a very long time. Uh, There was a clear leadership role for Isco. When Isco passed the baton on, it would be picked up by Morata or Asensio or increasingly Costa. Everybody seemed to know their role. Uh, David De Gea was playing very well indeed. And that lasted over a lot of matches. And therefore... The, the day before Rubiales sacked him, now that I can begin to remember things a little bit because the fog of unbelievably hard work has lifted a little bit, I remember saying that I didn't see the reason for a sacking. I, I felt that not just continuity, but that what Lopetegui had earned should not get in the way of one or two, let's say one or two players at their nose that have joined. Let's say they did. 
And certainly back home in Spain, Xavi said uh, Rubiales did the right thing. Well, okay, because I hugely respect somebody, it doesn't mean I have to agree with their views and opinions all the time. And then, and retrospectively, I I disagree. I think that um, players were there to do a job. I think it became clear in interviews that the majority of the Madrid players who had him as national coach and were about to see him when they finished their holidays as Real Madrid coach were perfectly happy for Lopetegui to stay on. Now, they can't speak for everybody. And Real Madrid and Spain are not the same thing. We all know that. However, those players who didn't like it effectively could have chosen whether they wanted to play or not. And I, I think you cannot decide a hugely difficult, controversial issue like that because let's say one or two Barca players might have been a bit miffed to be working for the limited manager all of a sudden. But more crucially than that, what what became, I, I think, evident between the lines is that Rubiales felt that as new president and as somebody whose ticket has been about freshness and um, a new way of acting and a new set of standards at the Federation, these are his themes, not mine, he felt that to be seen to be pushed around by Florentino Perez in the way that he was, either rode straight against this new era or, perhaps more pertinently, trampled on his dignity. Now, I think that Rubiales has risen very far, very quickly, and I think it was a more sage decision to be made. And then the final element if we're answering honestly, I, I, I did repeatedly argue to you all that there was some sort of mismatch between how the players were, were training and what we saw in match days. And that was never properly corrected until they went out. During, I think I said on the plane home last night that during the game, I had an increasingly sinking feeling in that Asensio the day before had said, well, you know, what we have to do is correct errors, not concede first, and if we score first, that'll be a big help. Well, they did score first, and they kind of stopped playing, they stopped risking. Now, culture is a lot to do with that, team culture. The first thing I want to say is that I'm I'm not going to claim that the sacking directly, the act of sacking, caused the drop in quality of football. But, like... Spain used to be a pretty edgy, idiosyncratic, odd place. Whether that was under Luis Aragonés or whether it was dependent on people like Juan Capdevila celebrating San Juan by setting fire to a basket of paper in his room and jumping over it. And they used to celebrate San Juan, in, in which is the summer solstice, I think, in the UK, in South Africa by having a big bonfire outside the rugby club. And, and players <laughs> leaping over the burning logs as they do back in Spain. There's none of that now. It's a very corporate atmosphere. And the act of saying, the act of Rubiales saying that when Julian Lopetegui took a risk, and that risk management was to say, one, I can have tasks pending as Real Madrid manager without affecting the tournament, and two, I can manage Spain to a good performance or victory. That clearly was his point of view. Now, he risk-managed the idea that he might be sacked for it, and he got it wrong. But the message that that sent out was that this is no longer a different, unusual, robust, idiosyncratic group. The idiosyncratic, robust group that when um, 
the Spanish media wanted Sergio Busquets dropped after the game one in the World Cup and the Switzerland tiny error that he made. But also the playing style, the media didn't like. The players had this crisis meeting in the cricket club in Pochestrum, where they were based, with Del Bosque, with Fernando Hierro, and they went, boss, we're right behind you. We rule, we're a group, we're a union, and they, they stuck it out. They went out on the lash in Cape Town after the Portugal. What I'm trying to build a case is that this used to be a much more, I use the word again, idiosyncratic, edgy, interesting, characterful bunch. And when Lopetegui, let's say there are people, socios, who believe you made an absolute mistake and it was intolerable, fine, you're entitled to your point of view. But his decision-making and the risk that he accepted fitted much more into the era when Spain were winning tournaments. And I think it said to Spain's players that they no longer worked in a, a sort of elastic relationship of trust. Now, VR has been chased out of office. There are accusations hanging over him. But I tell you, there was a different atmosphere, that's for sure. That isn't to defend him. Um, because whatever accusations against the ex-president are, they need to be proven, and that's not this issue now. But there was a, a, a sort of sterility. There was a Swiss nature of, you can't do that. Out he goes. And I think that inhibits players. I think it was part of an atmosphere that inhibited footballers about how they performed over the games. It changed the atmosphere. And I think on the evidence of what, how Fernando Hierro picked the team and the changes that he made, when he made those changes too, I think that with, without taking advantage of the defeat to mount an argument, I go back to what I said in the day before he was sacked, I think Lopetegui could easily have stayed. Sergio Ramos, for example, has posted on Instagram not long before we record this, Neil. Things like instability and uncertainty are, are bad companions in a tournament. And he's talked about giving everything and every last drop of sweat and it wasn't to be, but we believed it could. And there's a gentle nudge that he certainly would have kept Lopetegui. Now, none of this needs to be read as against Fernando Hierro, but I think that because I disagree with him, I don't know whether that counts as criticism or not, but I absolutely disagree with Fernando Hierro about team selection Isco should have been playing in midfield or at number 10 and behind a striker. It, it was clear from the Iran game, even though he, he got the goal, that Diego Costa's movement wasn't adequate and that when teams didn't play like Portugal because Portugal wanted to have a goal, it was pretty much a, a Rocky Marciano game. And because they wanted to have a goal, there were spaces for Costa to be fed. And when teams sat back, Costa's movement is inadequate. I mean, that's the word. It's inadequate. He's not an inadequate striker, but his movement in certain games is inadequate. And Rodrigo's pace, Aspas's trickery could have changed that. I could go on and on about things that I've already mentioned, but it, it, it was certainly my contention that there were changes begging to be made, adventurous changes, either in pre-match selection or earlier in matches. And, and that goes very specifically for the Luzhniki Stadium, when Iniesta either should have started or should have been on instantly, you know, the second half began, at very least. And, and quite frankly, Aspas should have been on um, from halftime too. And therefore, back to the Lopetegui thing, would Rodrigo have more chance of, start, of starting? Yes. Would Isco have played in a slightly different position? Yes. Would Iniesta ever have been dropped in that situation on Sunday afternoon? No. That begins to give you, I think, 
clear answers to the to your question. Briefly, this is from me as opposed to one of the socios, one of our listeners. In game management, what what did you see from Lopetegui's reign that suggests that that he would have acted more decisively during games? Daryl Geraghty is one of many who raise various points about Iero's running of this team. And one aspect that Daryl focuses on is just that, in-game management. You know, Daryl knows his football. He's, a, you know, he's got a good, astute mind. And everything's an argument. We can't prove any of this retrospectively. But I'll say that Lopetegui is a very aggressive front-foot coach. He's a guy who wants his football to be played with positive possession. Now, I'm not arguing that Yero doesn't, but I think that Yero, after one proper season of first-team responsibility at Oviedo, either wasn't clear enough in his own mind about what he wanted to do or was not necessarily clear enough to the players. Um, Certainly, Asensio talked about it being obvious that Yero was a leader. Now, I'll accept that, but if we're talking about um, tactics, the thing about Lopetegui was that he taught all of them, Thiago, Coque, Iniesta, Busquets, Isco, Asensio, that he wanted the ball, but that he wanted to do progressive, attacking, um, risk-accepting things with it. Not wild risk, but for example, the Lopetegui teams pressed. Now, Spain, after the Portugal game, I can't say practically stopped pressing, but pressed ever less impressively ever less constructively. And that ability to win the ball back in a broken situation, it isn't just... Nobody should mm, misunderstand pressing when, when applied to players like this. There, There is an idea um, that with Klopp's version of pressing, that if you storm teams, then footballing teams can be overwhelmed. And therefore, it's it's not crash-bang-wallop but it's high energy at the risk of burning out. And it's kind of a slugfest. Um, we'll outpunch you early and then we'll hold on. There's a slight difference, I think, when you saw Barca pressing at their best or Spain pressing at their best, in that if you're players of the calibre of, let's call it Isco Iniesta, Busquets, Coque Thiago, or Carvajal or Alba pushing forward into midfield, win the ball back in a broken situation, having just lost it, then suddenly the opponent is a little bit more dishevelled, is a little bit more open. And when you've got great footballers, really great footballers, like for, in my mind, the missing one of the missing elements that I can cling to, because I said it before the tournament, Alvaro Morata should have been here. His pace and power, Isco's cleverness, um, technique, um, occasionally cost us power. These things are phenomenally important because once the game is broken in that instant of winning the ball back, Spain could used to be under Lopetegui almost at their most dangerous when they just lost the ball because the explosion of aggression and timing about how to win it back quickly would often sucker punch the opposition and bang, there you go. Either territory would have been won or a booking might be earned or a special free kick might be earned or a goal might be scored. Now... Why we didn't see that under Yero, I don't want to be you know, cheap and putting the button and saying, I know the reason, because I, I frankly don't. It could be end of a long season where the majority of the players either were winning their league or winning the Champions League or winning the FA Cup. The other thing to say is being based in Krasnodar has turned out to be 
if not an own goal, uh, not a plus. The the 45 degree heat has been unhelpful. And 45 degrees is is like, you know, lying down in a frying pan. It, it's not, you know, hey, we're on holiday and it's 30. Wow, look at this. Get the factor 50 on. 45 degree heat is debilitating. And did that have a part to play in the difference between the football we saw, you know, midwinter, sometimes from Lopetegui, and here in Russia, in the in the heat and the humidity, maybe it did. And, and is that Hierro's fault or Lopetegui's fault or even Florentino Perez's fault? No, it's not. It comes from team planning and it comes from the people who run Team Spain as opposed to the Spain team. So, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm determined not to have cheap shots, but I think that it is apparent that the brand of football that Lopetegui inculcated was very, very clear, was very successful, the players enjoyed it, and it was nothing like what we saw here. Okay, last section on the matches that we saw, and in particular the Russia match, before we take a little bit of a break and then then move on to looking beyond this tournament for Spain. So I'm going to group these ones together. They come from Deganes on Twitter and from our socios Peter Gordon and Diego also on Twitter. So Deganes asks, should Spain have taken more risks by taking off Coque and bringing on Aspas with Costa earlier with Silva and Iniesta fizzing passes in small spaces? Peter Gordon asks, why does Spain play strikers when they don't display any inclination to involve them in the play? And Diego asks, how much of a difference would Rodrigo have made had he had more playing time? You know, the, 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 the questions that intrigue me, I really like them. To the first uh, question, if if I'd taken somebody off, I'm not convinced it would have been Koke, um, simply because when Russia did break, or if they did get the chance to break, and my whole argument is that Spain needed to take more creative risks. They needed to be less afraid of taking a man on or, or trying that killer pass than, than the pendulum side-to-side shit that we saw. So in, in my honest opinion, um, what I would have done is I'd have replaced... Costa with Aspas rather than Koke. But I've, I've made my case since before the tournament uh, began that Aspas has the energy, the magic, the leadership, the showing for the ball, the doing things once he gets the ball. A special goal touch in both of his last two seasons with Celta Vigo, two record-scoring seasons. An ability at set plays, um, an ability with penalties, far better in the air than he deserves to be for his height. And somebody who will show and, and trick and confuse opponents. Now, it doesn't have to be a single striker, but frankly, Koki's ability to um, to tackle, to recuperate, to, to start things properly, to help Busquets, who we haven't talked about, but I, you know, simply because he's brilliant, because he's a machine, it doesn't stop us from saying that he looked flat and tired, and that was not the Busquets of the last two years under Lopetegui. The why needs to be teased out, and he needs to tell us a little bit about that himself. But Koki's energy, if you take away the penalty miss, poor fella, Koki's energy and work rate and positional sense and ability to get the ball and give it to somebody who'll do something creative marked him down as, as a successful player. So if I would say Aspason for sure, but in my analysis, it would have been Aspas starting ahead of Costa and if both Silva and Iniesta played, then great, they'd have linked with him. If, if Silva or Iniesta were left out, as Hierro chose it to be Iniesta, 
then, you know, Asensio and Thiago, I would have had ball players. I would have understood that Russia's... And, and Hierro did understand. He said, we played them in November and it was 3-3 and they, they pressed and they came high and they chased us. And he said, that's not the style we've been seeing. That's not what we expect tomorrow. He expected that, that style that Russia played. Maybe not quite as stultifyingly, mind-numbingly shit as it was. And, and to be honest with you, good luck to them. They pulled it off. I asked Ramos, I asked Hierro about, you know, would Spain get away with that style? What do you think of the Russians? And they both went, you know, all's fair in love and water. You you pick your brand of football. And he has to use a, use a phrase, he said, you, you choose the style that you're capable of. None of them resented it. And there was, like I said last night, there was none of this anti-football rubbish. But let's step away from, I'm not Spanish, I'm not only covering Spain. That's, that's no kind of football. It's given them a historic triumph. It gave them huge noise and enjoyment in the Luzhniki, and I don't resent that for a second, but you wouldn't watch that for very long. You know, that was rotten football. That's the kind of stinking stuff that you used to see in the 70s. So, no harm to them for trying it and bringing it off, but Spain should have been able to pick it open, and therefore, Pete's question. That's a damn fair point. I was standing, you know, in, in parts of the game behind each of the goals, and, you know, I'm not... A cyclops. I watched Costa's movement, which was increasingly atrocious. But what he did do was say to the midfield, you know, even if there's a, a defender right on my arse, give the ball to me at feet. Now that is what Diego Costa is for. You can't order the other team to open the game up and, and allow the kind of ball that Busquets played to Costa against Portugal to create Spain's first goal in the World Cup. You can't say to the other team, open the game up, let's punch and counterpunch. But if they won't do that, and you've chosen Costa, like like Pete says, it's exactly right. You have to give him something. Now, it was a comp- either by Yero or by the rest of his teammates, it was a complete waste of time of, for Costa playing yesterday because when he didn't have the pace to, to run little diagonals so that Isco or Asensio could release a, a slide ball to him, and when he increasingly became despondent and didn't make the runs... If he's there and you're making no progress and it's swinging from side to side like a pendulum, then put the ball to his feet. See if somebody comes and hacks him from behind. See if he can lay it off turn and you chip it over the defender. See if he can actually, you know, jockey and turn his man. The Pete's right. There's any number of options. And it really disappointed me. One, that the players weren't under instruction to that. Two, that they didn't use their own gumption to do that. And three, that Costa didn't give them a right good bollocking because he was next to Worthless out there, and it wasn't all his own fault by any manner of means. Ultimately, Diego's point, I think, is that Rodrigo is a completely diff- different type of striker. He can, he can even if needs be, he can play wide. Now, he's got a light touch, quick feet. He's very, very fast. And the one thing I'd say about him is that because his character is good, he never once lost confidence or interest or or looked resentful at any stage in the World Cup. So there was a guy there brimful of confidence, and I, and I want to, maybe Diego knows, that one of the newspapers, I'm pretty sure it was Ass on Sunday morning, named Rodrigo as their, their predicted starter up front with Costa dropped. When he came on, you can't wholly judge, and Diego knows this, on, on what he did when he came on because... It was a broken game, and he was like lightning. He was like a blooming antelope, leaping around, in and out of challenges, pulling off one of Spain's best opportunities to score, and and looking right, looking as if this was his stage. 
So again, with retrospect, you'd say you'd say let given what we've seen, you know, <laughs> drop Diego and let Rodrigo or Aspas start. But Rodrigo did nothing but good for himself in the very limited minutes that he was given. And having had the season of his lifetime, um, having arrived fit and sharp and full of beans and not knackered like some players, and having scored that goal against Germany, then, you know, not the sort of mugs that they look like now, but reigning world champions in a right good game. I mean, a really good game, that 1-1 draw Spain-Germany. I think, again, if Lobotecki had stayed, and we've talked about this before, it's my estimation that it was far more likely that Rodrigo would start. Not guaranteed automatic number nine starter, but far more likely. And I think Diego's touched on something that will be uh, a regret to not only him, but some of his teammates and, and probably Fernando Hierro. Great, let's take a break there. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the future for Spain, their players and their coach. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. More questions from our socios over at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Graham, we're going to start with one from Daniel, who asks, Iniesta joins Xavi and Xavi Alonso in retirement. Busquets 33 next World Cup. Where does Spain go from here regarding their midfield? I think that's not the first question, Daniel. Honestly, I don't. There was damn all wrong with the midfield coming up to the tournament. We saw that. This, I suppose if you want to be pedantic, they're still unbeaten in two years, certainly in, in 90 minutes or extra time. Um, the first question, Daniel, and I hope I'm not, Jumping ahead to an, another question coming down is, does Fernando Hierro stay? Which I think, with all due respect, the probable answer is no. 
Not definite, but probable. And if he doesn't stay and he reverts to director of football, or, or even if he does not, which I think he probably will, who takes over? Because the concept of what midfield is for and the balance of who's available and the balance of who's available up front and the return, I fervently hope, of Alvaro Morata to the fold means that what you do with your midfield, who the dominant personalities are, begins to be a factor of who's the coach. Now, Fernando Hierro may be um, bitterly disappointed with what's happened and choose to stay on and the president might back him. And it could very well be that the 2020 qualifying campaign um, gives Fernando Hierro a chance to redeem himself. And that will be damn interesting. And albeit that I disagreed with his team selections in this World Cup, I won't be complaining because I'll, I'll be queuing up to learn. However, the candidates who are being talked about right now should Hierro step aside are Luis Enrique, Kiki Sanchez Flores. And I honestly have an attitude. People have often said that to me, and usually it's, you know, with the adjective bad in front of it. But I see Zidane not doing very much at the moment. So long as Didier Deschamps, France, don't trip up, you know, embarrassingly between now and the semi-final of the final. Deschamps asked for a new contract initially. Immediately he found out that Zidane was leaving uh, Real Madrid. So that tends to suggest that it's going to be at least a little bit difficult for Zidane to get in at, at France. I don't think he's mad enough to go and manage Marseille. And where I... Rubiales, I'd be saying to Fernando Hierro, you played with this guy. What, what do you what do you think of him? Could he could he manage Spain? Could he bring out of Danny Carvajal and Lucas and Asensio and Ramos, given that Ramos has said that he said to me on the pitch yesterday that he wants to stay on, he doesn't want to quit. Now, in the days and weeks to come, who knows who changes their mind or has a rush of regret and and abandons a decision to quit, whatever it might be. Spain don't tend to uh, appoint non-national coaches, but they have done before. They they have a set of players who have previously responded utterly brilliantly to Zinedine Zidane. And I think that there's an argument that if he were taking over or a coach like him were taking over, then the midfield isn't very hard to pick, depending on what Busquets wants to do. You've got candidates immediately like Thiago, Coque, Lucas, Asensio, Isco, who, if this, if there were an international transfer market for countries, you know, you'd be signing all of them. And there are other Ceballos you hope will come through. Sergio Roberto should have been at the tournament. There are clearly others um, to name. And there are young talents coming through like Rodri, Ex of Villarreal, now of Atleti, who spent so much training time uh, with the team and who's, you know, I love the cut of his jib. There, look, we don't need to name them all, but there are there are many others available. And therefore, um, just to answer Daniel's question again, what you do with the midfield depends on the brand of play that you want to encourage. And that is down to the coach. I think one answer is tied to another decision. And... Um, Look, uh, that's what I was, would do if I was Rubiales. There you go. Daniel, I'm sorry. I should have changed the order of my bowling there. I fed you to the line too early because 
Graham not only took your question on, but Michael Comiskey, I think you'll find that your question about Fernando Hierro's future has just been answered. Diana Yao. Hello, Diana. She's she's a top socio. Yours too. Uh, you mentioned the future of the coaching direction that Spain might take after this tournament. Do you know, Neil, let me, let me just paint a little pattern. When Hierro has spoken in the past about his career post-football, post-playing, and when he spoke at great length, having taken on the job, and again, in, in the couple of interviews I did with him, he talked about needing variety in his life. He talked about having been happy that since he was a football player, he hung up his boots at Bolton, he's been assistant to Ancelotti, head coach at Oviedo, director of football at Malaga, director of football twice at Spain. And he's enjoyed that patchwork of different challenges, different people, different daily work patterns. And therefore, I, I don't think that, you know, boredom will come after, what has it been, he's 18, 19 days he's been in charge. But I don't expect him to have ambitions to um, to be Spain coach for a huge long time because of, simply because of his personality. I also think that his skill set is far more suited to director of football. Planning, renewal around the team, not in the team, renewal of how the scouting priorities are, what the team planning for venues, what the team planning for travel during qualification, what the team planning for a 2020 Euro Copa where it's played in different cities around Europe and there's no central identity for the tournament. I think that's a very apt job for Fernando Hierro. But he is a competitive uh, and proud man and therefore it might be that he says to the president, I want to stay simply because... This isn't how I'm going to quit. We'll see. Um, but I, I just, I really don't believe that this is, this is his, has ever been his, his real dream. And therefore, I advocated a foreign coach before, a Frenchman. Uh, maybe Spaniards are already spluttering into their Cruz Campos. Um, but it was, it was the case that I think Ladislao Kubala was coach of Spain. And although he was nationalised as a Spaniard, he was Hungarian by birth. Zizou's uh, great achievements, uh, both as a club player and a coach, have been in Spain. I go back to my idea. I would actively, if I were Rubiales, or if I were the director of football at the Royal Federation in Spain, I'd actively be headhunting Zizou. OK, two Manchester United fans. Simon Davies says, As a Man United season ticket holder, I watched a hair every week and he looked a completely different player in this tournament, lacking in confidence. What do you put this down to, and could it have a knock-on effect for him and United next season? Richard Cook also watches De Gea for his club team, and he asks, can De Gea be one of the leaders Spain needs for the next World Cup? These, these are good questions. Simon, first of all, it's patently clear you don't need me to tell you that he was unrecognisable because... Errors aside, there were some chances for David De Gea to not only redeem himself, but to turn this World Cup on its head by producing one big penalty save in in natural time, two in extra time. It's hard to nail this one because he came here with a stone in his shoe. He was bugged about the team of the year, 
nominations, the the Ballon d'Or nominations, he and the people that represent him feel that he's underappreciated just about everywhere outside Old Trafford. And that when Oblak or Courtois or Neuer or Ter Stegen or whoever it might be that you want to name, increasingly Ederson, get mentioned, it bugs Team De Gea that he, given his Manchester United form, isn't placed in, in that kind of category. And And right now, Certainly up to this World Cup, I, I back that argument. I completely agreed with them. He's, he's evidently still a world-class talent. That hasn't changed. Um, many, many, many players, outfield or keepers, have blips like that in their career. But how to explain it? You'll see more of him as a United fan, but I definitely believe that he, he needs to feel he's a leader, um, which echoes something that I think talks to Richard's shrewdness. He didn't feel like a leader here, I don't think. I think he should have done. Um, everybody was relying on him. This was a great opportunity for him to put right a slightly slightly underwhelming tournament in France, I think. Um, I would have said in the elimination against Italy, there was a similar situation where Spain was looking to him to play out of his skin, United style, and get them through a game where they were outplayed uh, by Conte's Italy. Didn't happen. The qualifying campaign was completely different. If you talk to any of the players around this squad, they know that repeatedly he played just about as well for Spain as he did for Manchester United. It is not a Spain thing. He, um, I think he won two. I don't think there are many people who won uh, two under-21 championships, but I'm pretty certain he did. He would have gone very far in a Junior World Cup, maybe even runner-up. This is a guy who unquestionably has what it takes for Spain. And... Again, a theme that you know I mentioned before, I don't want to be a cheap shot. I've got all the answers. Uh, that's not what this podcast is for. What I'll say that I saw was a guy who was not particularly knocked out of his stride or, or knocked out of his demeanour. And one of the themes that he talks a lot about and, and talked to me about post the Portugal game um, was this... I'm I'm a laid-back, easy-going guy. This won't get to me. Now, I, I go back to the way that um, principally, I think, Eric Steele, um, but certainly the United staff, if they didn't quite bully De Gea in the early seasons, they got after him pretty firmly. And he responded to that. Now, he didn't like France Hook doing the same under Louis van Gaal. He couldn't, he couldn't stand to be in France Hook's company as far as I'm concerned. But generally, what David De Gea has thrived on, because he is an easygoing, loose-limbed, life-is-kind-of-cool guy. He does care. It does matter to him. You've seen that in domestic football. But one, Richard, I think that Simon's point is partly answered by the fact that De Gea at Manchester United knows that he it's crucial, knows that everybody's relying on him, knows that he's going to be in business all the time has the fans roaring and, and, and shouting about him all the time, lives a good life in a city where people are passionate about their clubs. Now, there were next to no Spain fans here. It was it was an atmosphere for a street fighter. Being here in this heat with what happened to Lopetegui, with the lack of Spain fans here, with, I think, a sense of complacency back in the country and a niggly hostility that I don't like in, in the national press. This was a tournament for an idiot like me, <laughs> where you're like, right, I'll show you, I'll stick these words right back down your throat. And 
I don't think that is is very naturally David De Gea. And what needs to happen is that the coach or the team leaders need to reconvince him that even if they start keeping the ball again and keeping the ball away from him, that he can be a leader, that whether he touches the ball 25 times in a game or five, that he has the capacity to feel secure, look secure, emanate security to other players and and... Yeah, be a leader. These things are part of what went wrong, I think, for him um, in this World Cup. And um, I'm a little bit sorry about it because in a couple of the penalties, he so nearly got there. One of them doesn't look good because it kind of goes over him. The other one where he touches it right hand way down to his post is pretty damn close. Penalties are lottery. Spain had won two tournaments and got to the final of another by winning shootouts. I had no confidence that they were going to win this one, none. I have to admit, it was the combination of circumstances that gives your sixth sense, having watched football this long, that knowledge that, nah, today isn't the day. So, um, Simon, Richard, I think we need to stop talking about David De Gea for about five weeks until he gets his holidays done. He'll have a bee in his bonnet, I think, coming back. I genuinely think that he'll be uptight and, and anxious to prove himself after a difficult summer. That's what I hope for you and him. Okay, we've had the future of David De Gea. We've had the future of the Spanish coaching setup. Finally, how about this? The future of Graham Hunter. Richard Pigden asks, what's next for you, Graham? As an accredited journalist, did you have the option to stay on in Russia and cover more games? If not, is it frustrating for you to have to leave or have you had enough? And Wesley, another one of our socios, asks if you want to do more TV work for the new season. Richard and Wesley. Interesting. Are these real pseudonyms? They're both very uh, well-informed. Um, yeah, for once, maybe I should choose my phrasing uh, carefully. I, I've been coming to World Cup since 1982. Um, I enjoy them hugely. There was certainly an option for me to um, fund the rest of the World Cup myself and, and stay on. Yes, the accreditation is, is full for the whole tournament. You know, I'm like a normal person. I miss my family. And... Uh, I think the coverage of uh, the World Cup with various broadcast media is very good. So I'm debating right now what the next step is. Having been uh, to the World Cup with Scotland, either as a journalist or a fan, what I learned very early is that when the team that you go there to cover either gets knocked out or if, if it doesn't get there at all, the World Cup can be an absolute riot. 94 for me, 98, 2006, where basically I was at liberty to go and follow the, the best football match that I thought was brewing. Um, gave me some of the most brilliant experiences of my life. I, I've written about some of them. And, you know, the World Cup really still gigantically excites me. It's a massive uh, country. It takes huge um uh, financial resources to get around it and get to stay in places that are not one-star hovels. And given that I'm not here for a newspaper or a television, that has an effect. But talking about television, there is a, an opportunity to do more television work um, starting from the end of this summer. Um, it looks as if the opportunities that began in Spain, began again in Spain last season, are about to increase and I do admit that the adrenaline of live television and the ability to try and get 
news ideas over in, in a completely different medium to this and with completely different questions coming at you um, compared to this, as in, what do you know? What can you tell us? Who have you spoken to? How, what should we expect from this particular game? That is very, very addictive indeed. So that's our show. We'll have another one for you tomorrow. I'm not sure where in the world Graham Hunter will be at that point, but we'll find out then. Remember, there are several ways for you to support us. You can get £4 off your razors at trygillette.com forward slash big interview. If you like free beer, there's some for you at beer52.com forward slash big. That's the word beer, the number 52.com forward slash big. And finally, we'd love it if you would consider joining our supporters trust at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, where you can instantly unlock hours and hours of bonus content with a new season of The Big Interview just around the corner. Thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying these World Cup podcasts. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.